a day of freedom. And I'm telling you that freedom is progressive. You have to learn. How, I, I, I want to say this before I pray. The challenge for a lot of people, the reason that people don't get free is because being free puts the responsibility on you. Now, nobody wants to talk about this part of the slave, the end of slavery, but a lot of slaves didn't leave the plantation because it was easier to be oppressed than to manage their own freedom. And so you got to make sure that there aren't things you have built your identity into that now you've been so used to being whatever it is that you are that you would you, that you feel naked when you aren't that. I'll give you a good example. Lots of times there'll be women and they'll be married to men and those men won't be walking with the Lord. And they'll have the whole church praying for those men to walk with the Lord and believe in God for some kind of miracle for them to walk with the Lord. And then it'll start to happen. And then when it starts to happen, those women will begin to sabotage the efforts of their husbands. Why? Because their identity has been being in the pitiful woman that was struggling with the man. You want to make sure that when God sets you free, you don't have an identity in bondage that lets you go back. You aren't called to be bound. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for all of your people that you love so much, God. And I thank you that you have been so faithful. You said you will perfect that which concerns us. So it doesn't matter whether we have big bondage or little bondage, things that are oppressing us or things we think we can handle, that there is freedom in you, God. And so, Lord, I pray that as this word goes forth, that our hearts would be alert and our hearts would be open to the transformation that you want to make in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would cause us to be people that won't despise the hard work of change, that we will be willing to participate in you as a display of our faith and watch you do something amazing in our lives God and we thank you in advance for the testimonies we thank you in advance for the people that are going to be healed we thank you in advance for the people that are going to have their mindset free we thank you in advance for the marriages we thank you in advance for the kids that were struggling in school that this is going to be their year the struggle is going to end Lord we thank you for that in the name of Jesus and we just thank you for the finished work of Jesus and we just agree with you and declare that we will not be bound when Jesus set us free in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to start, we're going to start this morning. I want you to say this, say, I am not a victim. I want you to say it with a little more strength and enthusiasm. I am not a victim. Say, I'm not a victim. Say it again. Come on, we're going to get some faith on this thing. I am not a victim. I am not a victim. How can I be a victim when the Bible says I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ? I am not a victim of my job. I am not a victim of the economy. I am not a victim of sickness and disease. Whatever comes my way, God has given me the ability to overcome it. Shout, I am an overcomer. You are engineered to overcome. You are engineered to overcome, and you need to know that. You are engineered to overcome. So last week we talked in breaking free about breaking free, and I'm going to really just come back and dig into those. Um, how many of you were here last week? Just see past that one making fun of me because I had nine steps instead of ten or eight. I went back and fixed it. I got eight this week. I combined two of them and made them eight. Yes. So we're going to get into that, and we're going to talk about how to live free. How to live free. We've been doing church for a long, long time. And so one of the things that we found is that our experience has been that people who come to church love God. You don't come to church because you don't love God. You come to church because you love God. But loving God is not the end. You've got to do the work. I'll give you something that everybody understands. How many of you ever prayed to lose weight? I have. How many of you, if, you're, if, if, if prayer was enough, 
you being your ideal body this morning. <laughs> amen. Go ahead and say amen. How many of you know that you can't just pray to lose weight? You can't. You can pray for self-control and for right choices, but you can't just pray, right? Because if that worked, Lord Jesus, we all, baby, baby, I'd be up here teaching a bikini this morning. It'd be so tight. But um, that ain't what happened up in here. That's not what happened. So you have to do the practical side. So if you struggle in your finances, you have to do the practical side. You can't just pray, God help me with my money, and you still do everything in your money the way you've always done it. You've got to get the practical. And the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And there's so many amazing people, people in this room. You really love God, but you have struggled with things your whole life because you don't know the practical side to getting free. And so what we try to do when we teach is we try to bring the word and then bring you a natural approach of something you can implement in your life. Because it doesn't do it. How many of you know about prophetic words? You know, have prophetic words. People say, God says you're going to be this, this is going to be in your life, and your life don't get any closer to that. And then you just be like, if one more person give me a prophetic word, I'm punch him in the face. Like, you go quit telling me this. In order to get what God says, you have to participate in the process. For example, the Bible says it's not God's will that any man should die and go to hell. It's his will that all would be saved. But if you refuse to believe and confess, you're not participating in the process. If you want a better marriage, you have to do the work to have a better marriage. Better marriages don't just happen. And listen, let me tell you something, because some of you are in situations and you're like, I really, really love this person. Love is not enough. Love without the right tools will not produce happiness. You got to learn how to talk to each other. You can't love folks and cuss them out and think you're going to be happy. You can't love people and not know how to take down your ego and let people into the inner parts of you and think that you're going to have a productive relationship. It takes work. But the Bible says that faith without works is dead. So it says if you want to know what you believe, we can demonstrate, we can look at what you believe by what you do. So we don't want this to be a place where you're coming and you're hearing how your life should change and then you leave here and you do everything the same. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to get frustrated. And you're going to say, this doesn't work. It's not that it doesn't work. you got to work it. It's not that it doesn't work. You have to work it like a weight loss plan. So anybody know the HGC diet? which is not a healthy diet that you should do, but I, have a, I had a friend who did the HGC diet, right? Now, everybody I know who did the HGC, the drop diet, they lost weight. Because here's the deal. If you don't eat, you're going to lose weight. Now, you're not going to keep it off, but you're going to lose weight if you don't eat. My friend gained seven pounds on, on the HGC. So I'm like, no, true story. She's gained seven pounds. on. I'm like, how did you gain seven pounds on the drop diet and she said well they said to eat 1500 calories but that wasn't enough so i ate more than that (laughs) no 500 no she she was eating like 2500 calories taking drops i'm like you can't just drop on your food no but i'm telling you practically that's how a lot of people live as believers you come and you hear that god wants you to be free you get excited about that But see, the excitement has to translate into work that you do when you aren't at church. Because you're not going to spend most of your life in church. You're going to spend most of your life in the real world. So you've got to have some real solutions for what you're going to do in the real world. So that's really our goal this morning, okay? So it's how to live free. 
Um, I really want to start with this um, scripture. Um, It's Philippians 3. Wait a minute. Let me go first. Hold on. Yes, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Because I really want you to understand how we live as believers. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Now, how many of you took the time to do what I asked you to do? Those of you who didn't know the Bible very well last week. And I said you at least got to look at the table of contents where you know where the stuff is. Thank you so much. Misty, you're the star student. I wish I had a star today to give you. But I'm telling you, you got to help us help you. So those of you who didn't grow up in church or you didn't grow up in churches where you took your Bible, you got to get familiar with the Bible because we're not just trying to have you believe in what we say. We want you to be able to look it up and see this is what the Bible says because your confidence in what God can do for you can't be in what I said God can do for you because ultimately I'm not the one that's going to do it. You got to know what God said. So Philippians 3, Philippians is in the the New Testament, and we're going to do it like this for a while. And then as we move into a different place, we're going to actually have the screens up so it'll be up. But we don't want the screens to handicap you because in your phone, when I say turn to Philippians 3, you don't even have to have a Bible. You can just type Philippians 3 in your search engine, and it will pull it up for you. So Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, it says, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. What it really means is this. We don't try to pretend like we're perfect and we don't have stuff. What we try to say is here's the progress we've made. Follow us as we're making progress. That's why the journey to freedom is a journey we're going to take together. There are some things we know about marriage. We've been married 20 years. And we aren't, if you really get to know us, you know we don't fake very well. So we really like each other. We, we don't do that um, because if I didn't like him, I wouldn't come up here and sit in here with him. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not designed that kind of way. I, I'm not built that way. I, I, and anybody who really knows me knows it's true. I, I, don't, I don't do a good poker face. I don't, if I didn't like him, you would know it. This is real. But it's real because we learned how to do the work to create a healthy relationship. And so you're going to have to learn how to do the work. You're going to have to press toward the mark. You've got to be able to say, the Bible says we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So wherever you are right now, thank God for it. But wherever you are right now, it's not where you're designed to stay. We should be making progress. If you start out walking a mile today and it takes you 22 minutes, it shouldn't, but if it takes you 22 minutes to walk a mile, when you walk every day, A year from now, it shouldn't still take you 22 minutes. There ought to be some progress. Even if it's just 20 minutes, we ought to be able to see some progress. We don't really care about how fast or slow you progress. We like, Well, actually, we do. We like you to progress fast because we're just those kind of people. But some progress is better than no progress. And the only way that you make progress is if you keep pressing for progress. Let's go back to our weight loss example. Anybody ever lost some weight? Let's say you had a goal, you had a goal, you wanted to lose 25 pounds, but you lost 10. And at 10, your stuff fit a little better. And so you stop pressing as hard. Anybody, am I the only one? No, 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 I know I'm not the only one, okay? You stop pressing as hard, right? You didn't keep going to the prize. So while your life may be better than it ever has been, until you are free from everything that hinders you, you have to keep pressing toward the prize. 
We keep pressing for this freedom. Pastor Sean, why is it so important for us to be free in Christ Jesus? Because Jesus already paid for it. Jesus already died on the cross for your freedom. He already paid that price. Why let him pay the price and you don't reap the benefit of it? It's like someone giving you a gift card that you don't spend. The money's already there. Why wouldn't you spend it? Jesus has already purchased your freedom. Don't stay bound. Don't stay bound. So here's our first step. We're going to go through the steps again. That's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to tell you again, because I know everybody didn't go to church the same way. At the end, we're going to pray for people. Right? You don't have to run out. We don't voodoo, hoodoo, magic anybody. If you fall down, that's between you and Jesus. We didn't push you. But don't be a per. You've got to get to be a person who cares more about being free than keeping up appearances. You have to be a person that cares more about being free than you care about keeping up appearances. One of the greatest things that when our marriages transformed our spiritual parents, they actually live in Maryland. And one of the things they used to say to us when we would go to counseling is that they could not believe how honest we were. How can you ask somebody to help you if you don't tell the truth? How, how, do you, how do you not tell how really bad it really is and want help? You've got to be willing to be transparent in order to get free. So step number one, decide to believe that God has freed you from sin and given you a new nature in Christ. You've got to decide to believe. Believing is a choice. Say believing is a choice. It's a choice. Have any of you ever believed a lie? You have, because believing is a choice. Right? You choose what you believe. Now, what's, what's easiest to believe is what you spend the most time with. So you got to decide to believe that God has freed you from sin and given you a new nature in Christ. Um, John 8 and 32. John 8 and 32, it says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, here's where we get into that state where you get to decide whether you're going to believe your experiences or you're going to believe what God said. You don't necessarily feel free, but Jesus says that you are free. So if you don't feel free, but Jesus says that you are free, you have to be intentional about moving to the place where Jesus has called you to live. Does that make sense? So you have to make a decision. Freedom starts with a decision. Until you decide to be free, you'll never be free. People can prophesy over you. Your family can tell you that it's going to be better for you. Everybody can tell you how amazing you are. You have to decide to be free. Anybody decided to be free this morning? Say, I decide to be free. It's a decision. Well, let's talk about what a decision really is. A decision draws a line in the sand. Some of you have never drawn a line in the sand about your bondage. It draws a line. You remember when you were a little kid? Cross this line. Remember that? Cross this line. You're drawing a line in the sand. What you're really saying is this. Listen, I'm done with this with you. And if you come cross this line, it's on. Some of you have never said about your bondage, about your bad relationship, about your sickness, about that job that doesn't pay enough. You've never said, all right, come cross this line. And because you haven't said it, you keep getting backed into a corner with your circumstances and your situations. You have to decide. You don't have a problem God can't fix. 
You don't have an issue God cannot fix. Your issues are not new to God. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. You have not shown up with any issue to taste God by surprise. Not There is nothing that you have done that God goes, hmm, one prepared for that one. He doesn't have those moments. And so you have to draw a line in the sand because God has said that you're free. The word decision comes from the same Greek word, root word, as the word incision. Incision means to cut, to cut away. So when I truly make a decision, I'm not just deciding for something, I'm deciding against something. When I make a decision to be free, I am making a decision against bondage. When I make a decision to have a good marriage, I am deciding against a bad marriage. When I make a decision to have a happy family, I am deciding against a house that doesn't have peace. When I make a decision to, a decision to get healthy, I am deciding against sickness and disease. In order to truly make a decision, I have to choose one thing over the other. You've got to make a decision that you believe God. Amen. So here's the practical part I want you to do. I want you to pick one area of your life right now and think that's an area we need to go for freedom in. Don't try to change your whole life. Don't don't try to change your whole life in one day. Let's manage one thing. Why? Because it'll give you some victory. And, And what happens is, is that just like when we worked with Jordan and when Jordan said A for the first time, it gave us the courage and the ability to go. If you just start to get a little victory, that little victory will begin to give you courage for the next day. You don't have to worry about how you go live free tomorrow. Just live free today. You don't have to worry about how you go say no, how you're not going to have a fight, how you go manage that tomorrow. Just manage it moment by moment. Just pursue your freedom moment by moment. Does that make sense? Number two. So the first one is you got to make a decision. The second one is you have to see yourself free. You can never go beyond what you can see for yourself. It's always interesting to me when people get up and they win award shows and they go, I never imagined this. Yes, you did. Because if you never imagined this, you'd have never been in the studio recording. If you had never imagined this, you'd have never been handing out your demos. You did imagine this. You may not have imagined it as great as it is, but you had some image that this could happen or you never would have went for it. Because you see all the time there are people who always go, oh, my God, you know, you're mad at somebody. I love it. You can especially see it in award shows. Because on award shows, people always talk about who can't sing. But in truth, becoming a famous star is not just about your ability to sing. It's about your ability to get in the right place at the right time and believe your dream. It's about being able to step into an opportunity. So if you are going to be free in something, you have to see yourself free. You'll never have a happy marriage if you don't envision having a happy marriage. You'll never respond appropriately to your kids if you don't envision yourself doing it. In Joshua 1 and 8, you can write that down. You can look it up later. Jesus, God told Joshua, he said, meditate on what I've said to you. Meditate on it because it will give you the strength and the courage to pursue it. See, if you come here and you hear me say that you can be free, you hear him say you can be free, you hear her sing that you can be free, but you don't go home and actually see yourself being free, you won't be free. You have to allow, listen, one of the most powerful gifts that God has given us is the power of imagination. You have to let your imagination partner with God to take you where he wants you to go. Many of you use your imagination to worry, to stress. Those of you who've ever been in um, 
a bad relationship or in a marriage that has conflict, in your mind, you imagine that there is going to be an argument before there ever is one. And you don't realize that in doing that, you are creating a scenario for arguments because you've already decided. Anybody ever done this, married people? I I have gotten mad because I thought he was going to be mad. Now, he's not actually mad because I haven't even talked to him yet. But just in case he is mad, I'm like coming into the space already. Now, what you talking to me for? Listen, because I always tell my I always tell my own stories because you get mad if I tell your stories till I tell my stories. Okay, so listen. So we had this deal where we had some hell damage on our house. And sometimes I do the most. You got to know yourself, be a student of yourself. So anyway, I managed the contract to get everything fixed in our house. And I got everything fixed except this one thing. And it is, a be- it is the window in Caleb's bedroom. So one day, Edwin and I are talking on the phone. And he goes down and he's like, he's like, well, do he says, well, do we still have the money to get the window fixed, right? This is all he says. Do we still have the money to get the window fixed? I say, you act like I smoked the window. I smoked the money for the window. <laughs> like, no, not, not a long time ago, this summer. This summer. <laughs> this summer, I'm sitting in Sam's parking lot, and I'm like, he act like I'm a crackhead, like I smoked that money. <laughs> he was like, um, can we talk about this later? <laughs> I'm walking through Sam's. I am hot. I am livid. And then I have to go, wait a minute. Because I because I automatically assumed that he was making an accusation. I just went all the way like when I called back, he was laughing. He was like, All right, crackhead, we want to talk about what happened to the money. I'm telling you that you gotta see yourself free. Because you, because whatever you see about yourself is what you're gonna do. Well, you go, well, where does that come from? It comes from years ago in our marriage that questions like that would lead to an argument. So I automatically stepped into where I thought that would go instead of going, we're not even those people anymore. So you have to see yourself free. And one of the big challenges for the church is that the leaders in meditation and visualization are secular humanists. And so the church tells people that meditation is wrong. But let me explain the difference to you between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. Eastern meditation is about clearing your brain. Biblical meditation is about filling your brain with what God said. There is a difference. Eastern meditation is about let's get clear and empty so whatever can come in here wants to come in here. No, no, no. Biblical meditation is here is what God says about me. Biblical meditation looks like this. So God said I could have a happy marriage. Well, what would a happy marriage look like? What would we do? How would we respond in conflict? And some of you, in, in, in Proverbs it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. When you, in, in one translation, my favorite translation says this, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. It means that, uh, uh, let's go back to weight loss. When I don't have a vision of a six-pack, I eat whatever I want to eat. <laughs> I eat whatever I want to eat. <laughs> Now, the people who are serious about sick back, they be doing stuff like, uh, like, like we got a friend who was at Bikes Blues and Barbecues, and she take a picture, she eating asparagus sticks at Bikes Blues and Barbecues. I'd have been like, funnel cake, please, funnel cake, funnel cake. My kids been like, can I have one? I'd be like, no, you can get your own funnel cake. This one is for me. Because when you don't have a vision, 
you don't have any restraint. So when you don't have a vision for a happy marriage, you say whatever you want to say to your spouse in conflict. When you don't have a vision for your financial future, you spend your money however you want to spend your money. So without a vision, so you begin to image, you take these scriptures and you say, God, what would peace look like? I struggle with my self-esteem. What would healthy self-esteem look like? What do you think people with healthy self-esteem do? What do they not do? What would they not tolerate? People with low self-esteem do this one thing that people with low self-esteem don't do. People with, I mean, with high self-esteem, people with low self-esteem talk bad to themselves. That is the fundamental difference. You take two people, who, one person who feels good about themselves and one person who doesn't feel good about themselves, they can have the same incident happen, and what's the biggest difference is what they say to themselves about the incident. Low self-esteem people, somebody mistreats you, you say, well, I don't know what I did to deserve this. People with high self-esteem go, I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't know why somebody thinks they got the right to treat me like that. I mean, the problem is clearly with you. I mean, if you're crazy enough to treat me bad, there's something wrong with you. That right there is a clear difference in what you're saying to yourself. And the Bible says words have power. So whatever you say to you is what you are going to be. And let me tell you something. If you're talking down to yourself, then you are insulting God because God says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So when you stand and you look and you talk about how stupid you are, how many mistakes you made, how dumb you are, how you don't deserve love, whatever you're saying, you are out of bounds with God because that is not what God has said about you. In fact, God thinks you're so valuable that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you. So while you're talking about yourself, you're insulting the work of Jesus Christ. You don't see Ford Explorers running around talking about, I really suck as a car. I wish I looked more like a Chevy. (laughs) Human beings are the only people that struggle with their identity. They're the only creation that struggles with their identity. You don't see an iron talking about, I really wish I was a steamer. No, only humanity is struggling with their ish, with their identity. Listen, here's a saint, saint, this will set you free. You don't have to be perfect to be amazing. come close to being perfect i'm certainly mighty amazing because the bible says that about me the bible says i am fearfully and wonderfully made so either god is a liar or he's telling the truth and every time i say i'm not fearfully and wonderfully made i'm calling god a liar well that's not what i mean to do i don't care if it's what you mean to do it's what you're doing so i have to see myself as god says i am Amen. Yes. Number three, I must get rid of thoughts, things, and people that keep me in sin and bondage. Thoughts, things, and people. I got to deal with my thought life. I got to get rid of the things, and I got to sometimes I got to kick some people out of my life. Now, I know that would be struggling with a lot of you WWJD people, but I, but I want to explain something about martyrdom, Okay. In the Bible, when people got martyred, they got martyred because they loved Jesus. They didn't get martyred because they was with people who didn't know how to treat them. Not the same thing. You're not called to be anybody. Your divine purpose is not to be mistreated by other people. 
When God created you, he didn't go, oh, yeah, punching bag. Oh, yeah, people go mistreat you all your life. That's not what he said about you. You have to get rid of thoughts, things, and people that keep you tied to sin and bondage. Last week we used this example. It worked last week. Let's try it again this week. You broke up with Boo. You and Boo broke up because it didn't work. And so one of the things that Boo gave you for your first Valentine's Day is Boo gave you this big teddy bear. But you keep the teddy bear on your bed while you're trying to get over Boo. And then when you laying in bed at night, you like, things were so wonderful between us. No, they weren't because if they were, you would still be together. Take the teddy bear, give it to your little cousin that lives in California. Okay? Get the teddy bear off your bear, off your bed. Because you got to get rid of the things that pull you back into bondage. Sometimes you got to get rid of people. I know y'all struggle with this. You can, sometimes you got to get rid of, I know some of you don't struggle with this, but, so, but so, some of you, some of you, some of you, I got to talk to you about not throwing away everybody, okay? That's another message for another day, okay? No one has the right to mistreat you. And sometimes people are good people, but they're not good for you. And sometimes you got to love you enough because in the Bible, people are always like, oh, you should love people. The scripture actually says this. What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love, you ne- love yourself. Not instead of loving yourself, but as you love yourself. So let me give you an example. This ain't about boo. This is about your cousin Ricky. Your cousin Ricky... He don't ever manage his money right. And Cousin Ricky, but he always got some new Jordans. He always got something new. I mean, you ain't got all that new stuff. And so what happens is, is because Cousin Ricky, Big Mama feels sorry for him because his mama wasn't there like she was supposed to be. Walk with me, walk with me. I'm going to tell you you somewhere. So Big Mama feels sorry for Cousin Ricky because she had to take care of Cousin Ricky because his mama wasn't there for him. So she's overcompensated in little Ricky life by giving him stuff when she should have said no she didn't make him get a job when he was 16 so now he think his whole life is that somebody should take care of him all right so now you have gone off to school and you have made a little income and you are doing well well so Ricky know you ain't gonna give him no money because Ricky know you follow him on Instagram but big mama don't so you know that Ricky got some new Jordans last week and you know that Ricky went to Vegas and you ain't never even been to Vegas but Ricky calls big mama Because Big Mama is going to call everybody in the family and try to dump her sympathy for Ricky on you. Now, I'm not telling you to get rid of Big Mama. You cannot get rid of Big Mama. Where you going to go for Thanksgiving? No. What you can say to Big Mama is, Big Mama, I love you. You always start with I love you because I want to teach you how to always start. You always start with I love you. I love you, and this is probably going to make you real upset, but I ain't giving Ricky no money. And when I give you money, you can do with it whatever you want to do with it. But if I give you money and you give the money to Ricky, you and Rick got to work that out, okay? That seems so mean. No, that seems like responsibly taking care of your own mental state. Because Big Mama got the right to live however she want to live. What Big Mama doesn't have the right to do is to oppress you with her same standards. Hey, yes, I'm telling you the truth. You got the right to do whatever you want to do. What you don't have the right is to guilt everybody else into doing it with you. 
Amen. All right. Next. Uh uh-uh. uh. Genesis 12, that's the scripture I want to use from this. Genesis 12, in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, he said, get from among the people you are familiar with. Sometimes you can't get free because the people you hang with can only see you in your bound state. So you try to tell your friends that you're ready to work on your marriage, but all the stories they have is about how messed up it was, and that's all they can talk to you about. you got to cut them off if you want to be happily married. People who can only talk about your past don't get to be in your future. If every time you see me, I'm 42, every time you see me, you want to talk to me about something happening in 10th grade or college, we can't be friends. You don't want to be my, what you want to do is you want to keep me attached to who I used to be. And there are some people because they don't like it when people they love start to make progress, they begin to sabotage you by telling you that you really don't have the right. Because here's the thing, if you and your husband really started to like each other, all them hours you spend on the time with your friend, you wouldn't do it, right? You got to watch how people respond, not just when you're in crisis, but when you tell them you're on your way out. Here's the thing. People ought to be able to say about you. Even if you say some of you, you haven't gone to church in a long time, you're going to church now. The people in your life who are telling you it don't make sense for you to go to church, you can't keep hanging with them if you want to stay connected to this. They don't have to go to church with you, but you don't need them calling you when it's overtime. I yell up in there doing that Jesus stuff. Those are the people that you cannot keep in your life. All right, number four. Are y'all learning something today? Number four, don't use your humanity as an excuse to stay in sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is new. He is a new creature. He is new. I know you don't look new, but God made you new. And if you get new word in your soul, you will act new. If you change your thinking, you can't help but change your life. I was thinking about this. Here's a great example. I grew up in Fordyce, Arkansas, southern Arkansas. And growing up, I don't think if we did, I didn't know about it. I lived in a neighborhood. I didn't live in a subdivision. You guys know the difference in that. Okay. So I lived in a neighborhood where people, if they wanted to, if they wanted to park their car there for 20 years, they could. Well, when I came up here, I got introduced to something different. And so when we bought our first house in a subdivision, I realized that even though the house was yours, that you were a reflection of the neighborhood. So now I've been living in a subdivision for many years. And so now the person who grew up not really noticing it's something weird that people had cars in their drive. Now I notice when somebody car been on the street too long. I'm like, who car is that? Why is it still on our street? Hey, they didn't mow their grass this week. Why? Because whatever you see the most. It's going to change with what you identify as normal. So it's the law of environment. So if you are sitting around constantly saying and constantly hanging with people that go, well, everybody got to mess up sometime. Well, everybody got to mess up sometime. But do you have to mess up all the time? Everybody, and nobody's perfect. Okay, Jesus is perfect, and he says that he will work with you to be better. You don't have to be perfect, but can you be better than you were last week? You can't use your humanity to stay in bond. Well, you know what? I've been cussing all my life. You can stop. You weren't born cussing. You didn't come out cussing. You learn how to cuss. You can unlearn how to cuss. You can learn how to use other words besides cuss words. You might have to insert fudge for a while. But if you do it long enough, 
I'm talking practically what you have to do. But you, if you use your humanity as an excuse, you won't ever get free. Because you'll constantly hang with the people that are going to reaffirm for you while it's so quiet, it's okay for you to stay in bondage. Everybody going through. The truth of it is everybody not going through. Everybody going through in their marriage. No, everybody not going through in their marriage. Some people actually really like each other. They don't get just dressed up and go out in public and pretend like they like each other. Some people really like each other. Everybody teenagers not wilding out. Some people got teenagers that love the Lord, that make good grades. I was at school one day and this lady, was. she said to me, she was like, um, she was talking to me about my kids and she was like, your kids are so obedient. Um, you know, like, what's up with that? Just like one day they're going to wig out. I was like, you don't know me, do you? <laughs> like, you don't know me, do you? We don't do no wig out programs in our house. That's not how we work over here. Because you set the standard. And this is for those of you who have teenagers and kids that are going into your teenage years. You cannot find one scripture in here that tells you that your kids ought to wig out as teenagers. That they have to be disrespectful. That they have to be disobedient. That they have to start lying. That they got to make bad grades. Everybody's not doing it. Whatever that doing it is, everybody's not doing it. But if you believe that that's the way teenage years have to be, you will participate in that and set your kids up to be caught in bondage that they never had to be caught in. So you can't use humanity as an excuse. Amen. 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 Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. Let's talk about all things. Because I'm not talking about all things like winning the Olympics. I'm talking about all things like this. I can stop overeating through Christ who strengthens me. I can stop cursing through Christ who strengthens me. I can stop having to get the last word through Christ who strengthens me. I can get a job that actually pays me something that I'm not sad when I get my paycheck. Because you know the worst thing in the world? Jesus said that he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It can't be nothing worse than you have worked two weeks for somebody and get paid and you sad when you get your check. That ain't the will of God and that's not abundant life. Oh, my God, are you preaching that prosperity gospel? I don't know what gospel it is. It's not prosperous. Gospel means good news. So it means good news. So here's the gospel we go preach. This is the good news. Jesus loves you so much that you're going to spend your whole life suffering going through and ain't nothing ever going to work right and every time you're happy it's going to fall apart. Well, who want to sign up for that garbage? Jesus came that you might have life and that you could overcome whatever it is you're challenged with. And here's the insanity of people who preach against prosperity, especially financial prosperity. You can't run a ministry without prosperity. We don't need everybody in the church to be struggling and need food, because if everybody in the church needs food, who we going to give food to? People, you ought to have enough money. Listen, I don't care if you don't want to be a millionaire. You ought to have enough money that you can take care of your own life and be a blessing somewhere else. And if you don't have that, you're struggling. We ought to be able to say in here, like we were able to say the other day, we were able to say in here the other day, we were, there was a situation where somebody needed some help, and we were able to help them. You know why we were able to help them? Because you gave and you were able to help them. And so you can't use your humanity as an excuse. Number five, we're going to go a little faster. If you fail or you fall, don't quit. Proverbs 24, very simple, says this, a righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. Really, the difference between winners and losers, fellowship champions, is that you get up again. Everybody falls, get up again. Everybody blows it, get up again. 
Everybody messes up on the diet sometimes. Get up again. Everybody has a bad day. Get up again. Say, I will get up again. So, number six. We did that one fast. Proverbs 24 and 16. A righteous man falls, but gets up again. Tell your neighbor, say, get up again. All right. Number six. I'm just going to make it real simple. Ask God for help. There we go. Number six, ask God for help. God, I don't know how to be quiet when somebody's talking crazy to me. Ask God for help. God, I don't know how to stand up for myself when somebody's mistreating me. Ask God for help. God, I don't know how to get a job making more money. Ask God for help. God, I don't know how to eat and write that helps my body live in optimum health. Ask God for help. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Do you know nobody knows you better than God? God knows you better than you know yourself. There are things about yourself that you don't even know to be true about yourself, but God knows them. And if you ask God for help, he will help you. No scripture says that he's a very present help in the time of trouble. So in the when you know, when you can feel the cuss words rising up, ask God for help. I try to talk about a really practical thing because that's the stuff that people are really doing. Now ask God for help. What's number six? Number seven, ask God to give you the right people. Now, I've covered a lot of that in the message throughout. You need the right people in your life. You need people who have the ability to see your flaws but not judge you by them. You need people who have the ability to see your stumbling blocks and help you set up detours to work around them but don't hold that against you. You need people who can hear your dirtiest, darkest stuff and never bring it up to you again. And if you don't have people like that in your life, ask God for people. You need people who can, who can know all your stuff. And if they're in a situation and somebody was talking about you, they would stop them from talking about you. Even if what the person is saying about you, they know to be true because you told them. Those are the kind of people you need in your life. We need friends. The Bible says a friend sticketh closer than a brother. The Bible also says in Proverbs 17 and 17 that a friend loveth at all times. No, we don't need people who can just love us when things are good. Who can love us when things are bad? Who can love us enough to tell the truth? I really want to hone in on this point because I believe that one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is that discipleship is about friendship and most people don't have any friends. You got a bunch of surface relationships. You don't give anybody permission to talk to you about you. And so you don't get better. You spend all your time with people who agree with you and pat you on your back. Listen, we all need people to celebrate us, but that's why you got to resolve that low self-esteem issue so that when people talk to you about the things you need to change, your low self-esteem ain't working on that. I don't care how amazing you are. What did I say? You don't have to be perfect to be amazing, which means you're not perfect. you amazing. You still got work to do, and somebody in your life needs to be able to tell you that you got work to do. Who in your life can talk to you and be real with you? Who in your life can challenge you? And even if you get mad in the moment, you go listen to what they're saying. It's a lot of stuff he say to me. I want to kick him in the knee when he's talking to him. I'm just, I mean, just the truth. I don't really want to hear that. But what he's proven to me is that he's for me. He's not against me. So I don't, I don't necessarily want to hear it. But I know I don't just need people in my life who are always clapping me up. 
Michael Jackson died because he surrounded himself with people who only clapped him up. He surrounded himself with people who would give him drugs when they knew he didn't need it. He needed somebody in his life that was like, lay on over there and shake. You ain't getting nothing else today. That's what you need in your life sometimes. You need somebody to say, no, you're not calling him tonight. I'm on my way over there. What I'm going to do is go ahead and confiscate that cell phone because you can't manage it. That's what they say. Friends don't let friends drink and drive. Friends don't let friends be booed up when they're not supposed to be booed up. Friends don't let friends destroy their marriage because they don't tell them the truth about the fact that they got a nasty attitude. Everybody needs somebody that can say, you know you're tripping. What we say around with my friend, we say, get your life. Because what you're doing right there, that's not your life right there. You're so far out of bounds. If you don't have those kind of people in your life, you're not going to be successful in your walk as a believer. You're not going to be successful in your walk. as. You need somebody that can say to you, is that a pity party I sense? I I can't come to that today. Now let me know when you, you you need people who say, I'm going to let you vent. You got five minutes. Get it all out. And when you get it out, we're going to work on a solution. Not people that when you start being for five minutes, then they turn into an hour thing and tell you 20 other things they didn't like about the person as well. We don't need that in our lives. We need people. We need friends that love us enough to see our flaws and challenge us to be better. Last one. We have to, number eight, make freedom a priority. Galatians 5 and 1, it says, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I got to tell on myself because I always tell on myself, listen. So I got free from sugar one time because sugar is my, ju- my drug of choice. I, 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 I'd rather have sugar than meat, than vegetables. I mean, if you like, uh, j- give, me, give, me, give me the cake. And so one time I got free from sugar. Like, I didn't eat sugar for what? How long? Like, almost a year? No sugar. Nothing. Body works better. And skin is clear. And then one day I decide. To eat the cookie. We've been going down here ever since then. There are some things that once they get cut off, you can't go back. There are some things that when God sets you free, you can't go back. There are some things that you master enough to be able to go back to help other people. But if you struggle with some type of addiction, if you struggle with sexual addiction, you can't watch a little porn. You, 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 uh, look, it ain't going to be no little porn. It's, it's going to be all the way pulled back in. And the Bible says it like this, that when you get free and you go back into bondage, it's seven times harder to get free the next time. Because the first time you get free, you really kind of tricking your soul. Your soul don't really know. So that first time I quit sugar, my soul didn't really know what, it was, what was happening to it. Now, if I don't have sugar for two days, my soul, like, I have all this. You know, if people who have addictions, you understand what I'm talking about, like, whatever your addiction is, your body still start calling for it. You know, like, it's like, no, I need, like, okay, caffeine. You caffeine people. If you got to have coffee in the morning, that's an addiction. If you like coffee, that's one thing. But if your head hurt till you get your first cup of coffee, that's an addiction. If you rude and, and can't nobody talk to you, you talking about, don't talk to me until I get my coffee. You have an addiction that you need to deal with. You need to break free. And one is that you change your confession. Stop saying, I can't have make it without my first cup of coffee. So you have to make freedom a priority. So I want you to sit down this week and I want you to think about what's an area in your life you want to get free. 
What are some relationships that you're probably going to have to redefine in order to do it? Who are some people that you need to ask to, to be accountability partners for you? What do you need to do in order to create the change that you want? Because, again, we don't just want you to come and shout. And we don't want you to just come and clap. And we don't want to be a fellowship of people who are pretending to be champions. We want to be a fellowship of people that are progressively increasing. Amen. Did you learn something today?